Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jimmy, and I'll be uh, reading the whole book of Jude this morning. Uh, you can follow on the screen behind me. Uh, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as the rational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all ages, now and forever. Amen. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm uh, one of the ministers at Trinity Church Modbury and it's great to be with you today. I believe you had Mark Curran here last week who's just started down at Modbury. It's his first his first day at Modbury was here and uh, this Sunday will be his first time preaching down there. Some of you actually have been to my house back when you were uh, at Trinity Church Modbury but apparently in the backyard there used to be this huge peach tree which was so big that the owner hung a, a tire swing on one of the branches. It was healthy and strong and it produced the most amazing fruit. But then he rented out the house and when he came back after a couple of years, he found that the peach tree was dying. It had been poisoned by the people that he'd rented the house to. I hate hearing stories of things like that, stories of things that were good turning bad, like watching Afghanistan go bad after there'd been so much hard work and sacrifice poured into it. It was just so painful. Watching America become more and more divided is just so painful. Watching something good going bad, it's awful. Most of us hate it. Well, today we're looking at a little letter written by Judas, we've heard, and it's a call. Hang on, I'll see if I can get this going. It's a call to stop something good going bad. It's a call to not just sit back and and watch it happen, but a call to get up and do something about it. Healthy churches were being poisoned. That's why Jude writes this letter. Healthy churches were being poisoned. Now, we don't know a lot about Jude, who wrote this letter. Have a look again at verse 1, which is up there. In verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James which when you think about it is a bit of a strange way to identify yourself. Imagine if I just jumped up today and said, hi, I'm Stephen, brother of Tim. It wouldn't really tell you much about me. But in this case, this is probably the same Jude who was the brother of James, who was a well-known leader in the church in Jerusalem. And if that's the case, it means that Jude is also the half-brother of Jesus himself. And so we might think, well, why doesn't Jude just identify himself as, hey, I'm Jude, the half-brother of Jesus? But it's probably because that would sound like he's claiming some special authority based on being a blood relative of Jesus, as if that gave him a special authority. You know, imagine it like this. If someone knocked on your door later today and said to you, hey, I'm Scott Morrison's brother... And I just wanted to let you know that I'm putting you into lockdown for the next two weeks. How would you feel about that? Would you be happy to comply? Because I wouldn't. You know, just being ScoMo's bro is not a qualification. What qualifies Jude to write this letter is not that he's a blood relative of Jesus, but that he's his servant appointed by him to a certain task. Do you remember that, to begin with, none of Jesus' brothers even believed in Jesus? It wasn't until after they saw him alive again from the dead 
that they became convinced. And after they became convinced, they travelled around to, the, to various places telling people about Jesus. And so probably the author of, of this letter is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, the full brother of James, a man who's, who's given his whole life to taking the message about Jesus everywhere. As we keep reading, we see who this letter is addressed to. In verse 1, it's addressed to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Now think about who these people are. These things are true for any, any follower of Jesus, aren't they? This is, this is true of anyone who calls themselves a Christian. And so this letter is probably actually Jude writing to a whole heap of different churches that he was involved with and maybe even where he wasn't involved. And in some ways it's a, it's a very simple letter. There are three parts to it. Jude tells them what he wants them to do. He tells them why he wants them to do it. And then he tells them how to do it. So first of all, very early in the letter, he tells them what he wants them to do. Look again at verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, he wanted to write a, a bigger picture kind of letter like Romans or Hebrews, but he says there was something more urgent. And so instead he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. This is what he wants them to do. What he wants them to do is contend for the faith. He's asking them to exert intense effort for something, to struggle for a cause. And the cause that they're to contend for, he says, is the faith. But notice how he puts it. He urges them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to them. It's not their personal faith, it's not their version of the faith that they're to contend for. The idea is that they've had passed on to them key central truths of what it means to follow Jesus. And they could deepen their understanding of these truths, that's the kind of letter that Jude had wanted to write to them, they could go deeper, but never would they move on from these truths or outgrow them or soften them or modernise them. Instead, Jude tells them they need to, to fight for them. Now, most of us are not really all that super keen for this. You know, in fact, I'd be worried about us if, if we were super keen for this. Occasionally, you do come across contentious people, you know, people who love a good argument, but what you find is they're not really contending for the faith. They're actually just contentious about everything, usually. Most of us aren't like that. Most of us don't like to rock the boat. We'd prefer to keep things comfortable and, and easy, and if something needs to be said or done, we'd, we'd prefer someone else to say it or do it. But Jude tells these Christians, all of them, they need to contend for the faith as it was originally entrusted to them. So that's what he wants them to do. It's quite brief how he puts it. It's the basic message of the letter. But most of the content of the letter is actually about why they need to do this. Most of the letter is trying to get them to feel the, the weight of the threat that 
they face. Look again at verse 4. He writes, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Here's the why. Why he wants them to contend for the faith is because ungodly people have slipped in. They've been infiltrated. Infiltrated by people who aren't on the same page as them and they don't even seem to realise it. A couple of years ago, my kids started playing a, a game on my phone called Among Us. Who's played it before? I was surprised at the number of old people at Modbury who'd played it. They outdid the young people, actually. Let me explain it if you've not played it before. Basically, you're, you're on a spaceship... And some of the crew are just normal, team-minded kind of people just trying to keep the spacecraft going. But some of the crew are psychopaths trying to kill everyone else. It's a great kids' game. And in this game, every so often you take a vote as to who you want to throw overboard off the spaceship. And most of the time you're just guessing who is the imposter. But sometimes you know for a fact who it is because you saw them kill one of your other crew members. And in that case, it's not hard to identify them. It's, it's easy. It's just hard to convince everyone else to join you in voting them off. For most of this letter, Jude is telling them why they need to wake up and contend for the faith. And it's because they've been infiltrated by imposters. And he tells them actually how they can identify them. Have a look at verse 4 again. He says, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude says you can recognize them by how they live. Because these imposters, what they've done is if they've heard the truth that will never be good enough for God. They've heard that it's only because God is only because of God's mercy, only because he freely forgives us. They've heard that all we need to do is accept his forgiveness as a free gift and he'll make us his children. They've heard all that and all of that's true. But what they do with that is they twist it. What they don't want to hear is that being God's children means that we now give up living for ourselves and we now live for Jesus as our only Sovereign and Lord, we now deny ourselves and we live for him. But these people, they take the grace of God and they say, if all is freely forgiven, that means I have a license. I have a license to live however I want. Now, let me just clarify something here. Jude isn't talking about people who aren't Christian among us. He isn't talking about people at church who are not sure where they're at with Jesus. You know, people who are just checking things out. If that's you, Jude's not talking about you at all. He's talking about people who claim to be Christians. Maybe people who think they're Christians. People everyone else thinks are Christians. People who are possibly leaders even. Community group leaders. Youth group leaders. Ministry team leaders. Pastors even. These are people like let me give you an example. It's like they've used their company credit card over Christmas and they've racked up a 30,000 debt somehow. 
And their boss finds out and calls them into their office, but for some reason decides to show them unbelievable grace. She pays their debts from her own personal bank account and she doesn't even require them to pay it back. She just says, from now on, I want you to know just how valuable you are to the company and I just want you to be loyal to the company. But this person walks out of the office and they think, awesome, if she's happy to pay for my debts, let's go shopping. See, that's not just a misunderstanding. That's a deliberate twisting of the grace that was shown to them. And that's what these people that Judah's talking about are doing. They're saying, if Jesus is happy to wipe my debts, awesome, I'm going to follow him. But their lives are saying something completely different. Did you notice in this letter, as it was read before, that nowhere does Jude say that these people are teaching wrong things? His issue with them isn't some technical, theological kind of debate or issue. The threat here that Jude is pointing out is it's far more basic than that. Their lives are denying Jesus as their only sovereign and Lord. Because they show they don't really care about living with Jesus as their only sovereign and Lord. So Jude says, look at how these people live and you can see if they're imposters or not. Now that's a, a common theme in the Bible, isn't it? Jude says it, Paul says it, Jesus says it. You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they say they believe, but by how they really live. You can tell what you really believe by how you really live. Have you ever thought about it that way? See, when it comes down to it, who calls the shots for you? You or your only sovereign, Jesus? When there's a clash between what you want and what Jesus wants, who wins? Do you fight the tiring battle against what you want so that you can do what Jesus wants? Or do you alter what you believe, what you think, so that what you want conveniently becomes what Jesus really wanted for you all along? You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they say they believe, but by how they really live. Do they struggle against their own sin? Well, then Jesus really is their Lord. Or do they embrace their own sin? love it and promote it, then they don't really believe Jesus is Lord. As we keep reading this letter of Jude, what we see is people who embrace their own sin, who love it and promote it. So in verse 5, they're compared to some of God's people that he saved out of Egypt who then grumbled against God. In verse 6, they're compared to angels who rebelled against the privileged place that God had given them. And in verse 7, they're compared to Sodom and Gomorrah that embraced sexual immorality without any qualms whatsoever. And in verse 8, we, we probably get the clearest description of what these people were doing. Jude writes, On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Even though this is the, probably the clearest spot, it's still quite hard to know exactly what they're doing. But from this, we can see that rather than contend for the faith 
as it was originally given to them. These people, they're guided by their dreams. On the strength of their own spiritual experiences, they, they'll go against God's word. They go against God's commands about sexual purity. And they contend against those who would actually contend for the faith. They speak spiritual nonsense about things that don't really matter. Things like good and bad angels and, and who knows what else. And they slander what they don't even understand. And what they do understand, all too well, is not spiritual things, but the stuff of natural instincts and appetites. And they're quite happy to slap a spiritual label on polluted things to justify what they want. As you read through this letter, it's clear that one of the main things that they do is they're justifying sex out of God's design, outside of God's design for sex. God says sex is a powerful, pure gift for a man and a woman in lifelong marriage. But these people find ways to say, yeah, it is powerful. Yeah, it is a pure gift. But it's not just between one man and one woman in marriage. We've moved on from that. We know now God's not repressive. He's made us sexual beings. We, we shouldn't get hung up about it. And they might say things like, God has, has taken me on a spiritual journey to see this. I used to be like you. But now I see as long as there's respect and consent, well, God blesses all kinds of sexual relationships, whatever they are. We think of that kind of talk as a kind of modern way of thinking, but it's not modern at all. You'll find it in every single letter in the New Testament. Wherever you hear people say, we need to move with the Spirit. We need to move where the Spirit is, is leading us in our age. Wherever you hear people saying that, talking like that, you should hear Jude saying to you, wake up and listen carefully. Listen carefully to what they say next. Because where the Spirit leads us in every age is always to stand unmoved in Jesus. We never move on from the truths that he's entrusted to us once for all time. It is so easy for imposters to couch their own desires or, or the desires of our culture in the language of spirituality. But we need to decide where we're going to build our lives on the strength of human dreams, human longings, or on the strength of God, which he says is shown by Jesus dying on a cross to purify a people who are eager to live for him. Now you will have noticed as Jimmy was reading this before that Jude doesn't hold back in this letter. It's a bit overwhelming. He goes for it. He basically says reject God and, and try to lead other people to reject God too, all while claiming to be led by God. And that's extremely dangerous ground to be standing on. But this makes sense when you think about it. If someone tries to sell one of my kids ice, I'm going to be angry. But if one of their teachers at school or their youth group leaders tries to sell them ice, can you imagine how I would feel? Of course God is angry about this. But the nature of these imposters is that in order for them to be able to do what they want to do, they need others to join them. And so they drag others down with them. 
Jude puts them on the same par as Cain in verse 11, who dragged humanity into a new phase of murder. He puts them on the same par as as, uh, Balaam, who dragged God's people into a new phase of sexual immorality. And he puts them on the same par as Korah, who dragged God's people into a new phase of rejecting God's appointed leaders and God's appointed way of worshipping him. And he says their fate, in verse 7, is to suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Jude is serious, so serious, because this threat is so serious to God's people. And yes, Jesus forgives all sins, past, present and future, for whoever calls on him as Lord. But if we start saying what Jesus wants doesn't really matter, sin doesn't really matter, then we're in serious danger of denying Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. Now at this point, Jude does something unusual. He's been bringing together all these Old Testament passages which you would have noticed as it was read out before, that's all normal. But he also brings in a couple of bits that aren't from the Bible. I don't know if you noticed that. He, he quotes at this point from a non-biblical book called the Book of Enoch, And we find this quite a strange thing to do. We we sort of think, isn't this Jude moving on past the word of God himself? But this was a book that was very familiar with, with the people who were receiving this letter. And just like Paul quotes uh, Greek poets and philosophers, even calling them prophets, Jude here is doing a similar thing with this book. He's not saying it's scripture. He's saying it accurately reflects scripture when it says... In verse 14, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude's point is that those whose lives deny Jesus and and try to tell others that it's fine They're actually speaking defiant words against God himself and God is coming and he'll judge them for it. I told um, one of my kids that I was uh, preaching Jude and and that it's a bit of a tricky book but then the next day he, um, he came back to me and said, I read Jude last night. It's not tricky, it's simple. I was like, fine, you preach it then. He said it's just about how some bad people had gotten into their church. And he's right, that that pretty much captures it, doesn't it? It's simple in that regard. And you could draw the conclusion from reading Jude that it'd be simple to spot these people and simple to deal with them. And in some ways it is, like we said, their lives show that they're defiant of Jesus. But what's not simple is being willing to contend against that. It's not like the people that Jude Jude is describing here all look like Cruella de Vil or something like that. In fact, they look a lot more like me. They're very happily there among us. They're even described as shepherds by Jude at one point. They're not necessarily all that easy to spot and they cause God's people to be divided because some of them think and recognise that these people are imposters. But a whole heap of other people think they're just great. 
So Jude tells us we need to wake up and we need to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to us because to ignore these people, to turn a blind eye, is potentially devastating to us. And so the question is, how do we do it? How do we contend for the faith? In the game Among Us, what you do is is you contend for the spaceship by taking a vote, throwing someone overboard. Usually what happens is you realise you've got the wrong person, some innocent kid somewhere is um, crying because they've been cast out of the spaceship and the imposter's still among you. Look at the way that Jude tells us where to contend for the faith because it's surprising in verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Jude says to us here, here's the how, keep yourselves in God's love. The way to contend for the faith is by keeping ourselves in God's love. It's not by going on some kind of witch hunt or vigilante. The way to contend for the faith is to grow stronger and stronger in the faith. We're to build ourselves up in our faith, verse 20. Pray in the Spirit, verse 20. And wait for Jesus to bring us eternal life, verse 21. And notice, this isn't individualistic. That's how we read it so often, build myself up keep myself in God's love. But that's, that's not what it's saying. This takes a community to do this. As a community builds itself up strong in the true faith, each and every part of it contends for the faith. There's no secret police, no interrogation or, or spying. The way to contend for the faith, which is so important, Judah's just been telling us, the way to contend for the faith is by helping each other live and breathe true grace and live and breathe true surrender to Jesus. We contend for the faith as we help each other live in God's love, breathe God's love, surrender to God's love. That's what will protect us from imposters. And it's not just the leaders who are to do this, the whole community is to know God's grace, every single one of us whole community to know Jesus' Lordship truly so that we instinctively recognise when people are going against grace or against Jesus' Lordship and we instinctively recognise that that means that they're cutting themselves off from God's love. It's really clear that Jude's not telling us to be like the secret police just waiting to jump on each other because one of us might be an imposter. In fact, Look at how he tells us to treat people when we see that they're struggling in verse 22. Look at this. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When we find people doubting the truths that they've been entrusted and starting to believe imposters, what should we do? Be merciful with them. When we find people starting down the path imposters are leading on them on, what are we to do? Snatch them from the fire. And when we find people well on the way of the imposters, rolling in their mess, what are we to do at that point? 
show mercy. See how there's mercy at the heart of things here. But notice, it's mercy mixed with fear. See, if you have just fear, but no mercy, what you do is you just want to cut people off. You you just keep everyone safe by getting rid of the bad eggs until there's no eggs left at all. That's not what Jude is saying. And if you have just mercy without fear, then you just want to keep everyone happy, comfortable. But you risk taking sin too lightly and, and letting it spread to others and to yourself. But contending for the faith means we hold both mercy and fear together. Love people, but we hate the effect that sin has on our lives, what it does to people. And so we mercifully, fearfully do what we can to keep people in God's love. So that's the letter of Jude in a nutshell, this little letter. And it'd be nice if we could kind of, we've taken it out, probably haven't read it for a while, most of us, if we could now just sort of put it back on the shelf and forget about it for another decade. But actually the truth is we need to contend for the faith today just as much, if not more, than they needed to back then. Every age, every age sees a a new set of waves and challenges rolling in. If anything, we see more today. We're so connected globally. If anything, there are more challenges, more reasons why we need to contend for the faith. And Jude, he tells you here, if we're not helping build others up, if we're not praying in the Spirit, not waiting for Jesus, then actually we're not contending for the faith. Jude shows us if we see people doubting the way that's been entrusted to them or started playing with fire or, or gone well down that way, if we see that, then turn away and say nothing, do nothing, leave it to someone else, then we're not contending for the faith. This is the first month of a new year. And so before this year gets fully into swing, let me ask you and urge you, contend for the faith this year. How are you going to contend for your faith this year? For you, for your kids if you have them? How well do you know this faith that you've been entrusted with? Are you daily in in God's word, daily in prayer? See, that's the only way that we'll instinctively recognise when God's grace is being counted or when God's, Jesus' lordship is being denied. How are you daily going to be in God's word, daily in prayer this year? And how are you going to help keep others in God's love this year? How are you going to look out for people and build them up in their faith? Are you in a, a community group? That's a pretty good way to help know a, a smaller group of people to really love them and help them keep in God's love. Jude is a bit of a daunting book. It can feel a bit overwhelming. And so as we finish, it, it's helpful to just notice the way that Jude begins and ends. Notice in, in verse 3, the way he begins is that we are kept by God for Jesus. And yes, we're to keep ourselves in God's love in verse 21. But look at how Jude ends in verse 24. 
He writes, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. We contend for the faith. We take those who would threaten it seriously. And so we build each other up in the faith, pray in the spirit, wait for Jesus. We show mercy to those caught in sin. And yet we do all of this fully aware that this is actually how God is doing his work among us. In the end, it's God who keeps us in Jesus right till the end. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the God of grace and mercy that you are, that you have called us in Jesus to forgiveness, that you have called us in Jesus to bend our knee before him as our Lord and Saviour. Lord, help us as, as a community, help this church here as a community to contend for the faith by really caring for each other, building each other up, keeping each other in your love. Lord, um, help them to know your grace and Jesus' lordship so thoroughly that they can recognise when it's being counted or, or denied. Lord, give them the strength, the humility to be merciful and to intervene in those situations where it is being denied. Lord, um, build them up. And uh, Lord, we thank you that as we do this work, we know that it is not us alone, that you are working in and through us to hold us safe for Jesus right till the end. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.